Welcome to Muffly Auto, a Harry Potter podcast where we fill your ears to prevent you from hearing nearby conversations. I'm Josh. And I'm Blake. And today we raise our glasses with people all over the country to the boy who lived. Today we begin a journey through the Harry Potter books. First up is Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. It is a beginning of beginnings, an introduction to the magical world and several of the most important characters in the entire series. And Blake, before we get carried away and get too far into those books, I think it's important we start with our chapter summary. Our story opens with a day in the life of the Dursley family, who are proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. However, in spite of their intentions, Vernon Dursley cannot help but notice signs that this is no normal day. Pulling out of Privet Drive, he sees a tabby cat reading a map. No, he thinks. Looking at the sign, cats couldn't read maps or signs. As his day progresses, the peculiarities increase around him. Oddly dressed individuals muttering about the Potter family, a boy named Harry, and something about the downfall of you-know-who cross his path. Vernon remembers that his wife's sister married a Potter and named her son Harry. Or was it Harvey? Regardless, the busyness of the day pushes this thought from his mind. The evening news reports that the oddities have not been restricted to the Dursleys, but that Britain's skies have played host to an unprecedented display of shooting stars as well as owls flying throughout the day. As the Dursleys slip out of consciousness and begin to sleep, a man arrives a man unlike anything ever before seen in this neighborhood. He greets a cat, who suddenly transforms into a witch. Minerva McGonagall greets Albus Dumbledore, and the two reflect on the day's events. Dumbledore confirms the downfall of Voldemort, referred to by many as you-know-who. Similarly, he reports the tragic news of James and Lily Potter's deaths. Harry, their one-year-old son, has somehow survived. A huge flying motorbike interrupts the quiet night, and a giant of a man climbs off with a baby in his arms. Harry bears the sign of a magical wound, a lightning-shaped scar, but otherwise appears unharmed. Despite protests by Hagrid and McGonagall that Harry will be raised by muggles rather than in the wizarding world, Dumbledore places Harry on the Dursley's front steps with a letter of explanation. The three magical beings part ways, leaving behind them the normalcy of Privet Drive and forever changing normal life for the Dursleys and Harry Potter. And I think, Josh, you also forgot to mention all of us, the readers. Uh, (laughs) No, I mean, so true, though. Yeah. Yeah. Like like it's it's one of those things that is is really stating the obvious. But for each one of us, unless you are some kind of savage who reads the last chapter first. Um, oh yeah! Don't get me started on those people. Right? This is this is where we meet the wizarding world. This is um, how how we're opened to this brand new place. And even if you've, I think I think Blake, you started by um, watching the movies, right? Yes. Yeah, I started by watching the movies. So so the books came came later for me, um, and uh, and definitely from from when you know maybe that JK was halfway through the whole series of the the books, and there were only a, a few movies out there. Right, but but even even the movies, um, Philosopher's Stone starts with that great scene between um, Dumbledore, McGonagall, and, and Hagrid. Right, it, it's so similar to the book. Um, yes, and, and so yeah, this, exactly. This chapter, as as basic as it is, and as um, 
kind of utilitarian as it is in that it's setting the stage for the world. It's it's not really a chapter of of any great literary achievement. It's it's just, you know, to bring us in the door. It it has a special place in my heart. You know, I I I love reading it. Um and you know, I think that if it weren't for the fact that this chapter is the first one that we read, it probably wouldn't have that special place. But because it is our doorway into this world that we love, it's so exciting to read every time. Yeah. And it's in hindsight that we that we say that. I mean, we've read yeah. through the whole yeah. entire series. and uh, But back then when she wrote this and when some kids read it, it was the first chapter of only one book. There wasn't any other uh, books out there uh, for you to kind of know roughly the story because maybe some friends had read it. Like, you know, you opened uh, the pages and read this chapter and were introduced uh, to uh, a few uh, unfamiliar things things and uh, some unfamiliar people, um, clearly some very uh, uh, normal um, <laughs> Dursley uh, families. But uh, I mean, we've, you know, we've encountered uh, some different people, some different things. And, and we also uh, come into encountering uh, uh, themes. Um, and for, for each chapter, uh, all throughout um all throughout the the philosopher's stone, there are key themes that we that we see, and uh, and they bring together the ideas and the events, and 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 they all relate to kind of the broader plot of the seven novels. And so, I think a theme that we can clearly pull out of this first chapter is is the theme of community and belonging and beginnings. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and and that last aspect of the theme beginnings is is probably a bit on the nose and a bit um, yeah up front. But but the idea of community and belonging uh, really run at a at a deeper level. Um, but I think are are absolutely essential to an understanding of that first chapter. Yeah, yeah. No, you've got. You've got the the Dursleys who, uh, you know, J.K. establishes as uh, like a, a normal family. Uh, I mean, as normal as you you can get. Uh, yeah. They they yeah, kind as, of pride the themselves. Epitome is normal, right? They pride yes. themselves. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, yeah. they, and, I think and, they, and they definitely don't want anything part of anything weird. Um, we see that, like, you know, Mr. Dursley essentially is just thinking there are just weird people out there who do anything that is not the normal. Uh, that, you yes. know, they're not dressed yeah. normal. Well, then they're just weird and I don't want anything of them. I don't want anything of them. And, and you even see that Petunia is someone who is is almost like the neighborhood watch to check that everyone is just as normal as they are, right? You know, she's, yeah, she's described as one who creeps around the you know, the fences and, and looks with her unusually um, long neck in order to spy on her neighbors. Um, and, and just making sure that everything is normal. Because if, if Privet Drive is no longer a normal street, I have no doubt the Dursleys would move on, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and and if I was a neighbor of the Dursleys, I mean, the the, the worst thing that I could do is go outside of my lawn and just see her oh, peering over the, yeah, the fence, yeah. just, uh, you know, trying to catch me at something or using oh, too much water man. or I don't know, you know, it just, I just feel like you'd have a hot dial to like the neighborhood watch line. And exactly, I, I you know, I mean, the, the neighborhood watch probably they're not doing a good enough job. So she probably, uh, you know, she probably <laughs> has her own kind of division of the, the street that oh, all people fear. Can you imagine? Oh, I, yeah. I think I'd have a, a special email filter um, for any email from Petunia Dursley that would just go right to my junk or something. <laughs> Straight to the trash. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and not only do we see the the Dursleys in this idea of belonging and being part of this community of normal people, uh, but we also th- see three magical beings. 
And in the discussion between Albus Dumbledore, Minerva McGonagall, and Rubius Hagrid, there is already in chapter one, this idea of an us versus them mentality. Mm, There are these magical beings, and then there are these people who they refer to as muggles. Yeah, the muggle word, you know, that we get introduced to is just uh, one that just doesn't exist. Uh, it's it's something that is not familiar to us, uh, and it's not familiar to uh, Mister Dursley uh, either. And uh, and yeah. we we soon learn uh, that that muggles are, are just kind of normal people, and it's a, a way that they're distinguished. That you know, it's a term that the the magical community use and, and the magical beings they use for uh, non-wizarding folk. Uh, but it just, it creates kind of separation between the yeah. two. Yeah, and, and, and already we see that at the same time that both muggles and magical beings um, can, can both be human and be of the same race and be able to um, intermarry and be able to share lives, there is this intentional divide that exists. Um, and, and there is this created separation that, that would not perhaps exist normally. Um, I, I mean by that, you know, if, if um, the, the magical people and the muggles could find a way to coexist, that, that would be seemingly the ideal, but, but there's been this intentional separation created. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and there's there's one thing that that's worth talking about at, at a later date, but is the whole you know technology hay, hay going all haywire when yes. it's around yeah. magic, and so yeah. there's that level of like that you know maybe maybe J.K. knew of this when she was writing it, but it, you know that that would have caused separation uh, to try and kind of keep those things apart um so both would still work as the sort of the the muggle world developed more and more kind of technologically it would kind of have to drift further away uh, from the wizarding yeah world. yeah that's such an interesting thought because um tolkien once famously wrote that um, he didn't believe that a, a fantasy story like lord of the rings mm. could be written in the modern era because of yes. technology and how yeah. technology and magic have this um, really um, oil and water type relationship where, where they cannot mix because um, technology does do so many things that once were left only to the magical imagination, right? Yes, exactly. I mean, I've, I've read a few books where, uh, you know, the, the author uses this kind of magic messes up, uh, you know, technology to uh, kind of uh, help uh, I guess the story along and kind of make sense of it, um, which which you know is is the the right of the author, and I think J.K. did did a good job in that because it it kind of establishes it. She follows that rule all the way through, um, and uh, and so mm. you know it it kind of helps us, and she gives that to us right at the start, but also using it to show that separation of the the two communities. But I think I think what's also interesting is that as we we look at. Um, the the publication dates for these books um, that that the writing really straddles a a key time in um, in digital technology development, right? Um, yeah. You know, as as the first book was released in in 1997, um, and then as as Deathly Hallows comes out um, far into the um, the digital age, where where things have changed so so greatly in in a relatively short period of time, right? roughly yeah. 10 years um, from the start of uh, that, that publication cycle. And, and think of how different things were in 1997 to 2007. Um, and and yeah. so for, for J.K. Rowling, it, it would have been impossible to know that 
these these bulky devices that people are carrying with them called cell phones in 1997 would one day become you know smartphones by 2007 um and and so i think it was wise of her to create this separation um, because the story would not truly work if if wizards were having smartphones in in the in the dorms at hogwarts no no that would definitely kind of break break the story up a little bit and and you know us as the readers would kind of be like well you know especially in the later books when we all had those sort of smartphones be like well why don't they just do this or uh you know do this and yes. and i think yeah. it's worth a conversation in the future uh talking about uh the use of technology and how that could have solved many of uh the you know the the complications yeah, that arise yeah yeah exactly i mean you know there's some pretty great technology out there uh but obviously you know that is a that is a conversation for a for a later imagine day. imagine you are a a muggle-born um wizard and and you're having to choose between really embracing your magic or technology and you're realizing oh, it's one wow. or the other and you're thinking yeah yes <laughs> yeah I don't know. It's like which which do you pick? Uh, I mean, I know oh, which man. one I would pick when when talking about travel because uh, from <laughs> uh, from travel perspective, it's like plane tickets cost a lot of money. Yeah, whereas you know apparition, I mean, come on, that's uh, a that, yeah. that's that's probably the the go to answer. Yeah. Well, and I wonder too. So speaking of technology, you know, Muggleborn wizards and witches clearly have. Um, a, a far advanced ability when it comes to using uh, more basic technology, things like automobiles and um, and even the telephone. Um, and, and so you wonder in future generations, will um, muggle-born wizards be be more adept at using digital technology and, and finding that balance, whereas um, purebloods and half-blood wizards, wizards who have grown up in the wizarding world, will continue to struggle making those adjustments. You know, you see Ron yeah. being awful at using muggle technology, whereas for Hermione and Harry, it's very normal. You know, obviously that's a lower um, scale technology, but still, you know, it's interesting to think about that. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Well, um, summarizing all we've talked about with with key themes, we've we've wandered um, very far afield, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, in, in this chapter, the reader once again catches a glimpse into this central theme of belonging. Vernon and Petunia crave the approval of their very normal neighborhood, and so too Minerva and Hagrid cringe at the thought of Harry being raised by the chief of all muggles. And there is a sharp division presented in this book between the muggle and magical worlds, and this divide will deepen before it will ever be patched. So this theme of belonging is one that will run throughout this book um, and really throughout the entire series. Um, and, and more than just themes, this chapter introduces us to some very, very important characters. Um, a story with characters who are not compelling is no story at all. Um, and, and J.K. Rowling writes brilliant characters. I think she does that fantastically. Yeah. Um, and so what we want to do is, is look at each chapter and how they present the characters to us. We read this whole series of books and there's just a collection of amazing characters that obviously get us reading more and more and want us to to kind of, you know, find out more about them. Um, and, uh, you know, being the first chapter, we obviously are introduced to a, a lot of different characters. And so so whilst this, you know, this segment, uh, the part where we talk about characters and the development of the characters, it's, it's sort of neither a, a definitive or nor exhaustive character study, but it's more a, a glimpse uh, into the, those aspects of the character that, that JK reveals in, in the chapter. And so 
we are introduced as we read this chapter uh, to the first character uh, where it's kind of based around, and that's Vernon Dursley. That's right. It's like the story is called um, Vernon Dursley and the Philosopher's Stone, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, no, I mean, it's how he. Is that right? I, I think that was the first draft, and then she changed it. Vernon, you're um, a wizard. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that would have sold as as well because he would have been no, conflicted to mean. save the wizarding world yet completely just ignore the its existence. Well, while ranting on the entire time about how none of them have real jobs. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they make no money. It's just kind of, you know, monopoly cash. It just it's barely anything. Uh but but yeah, no. Here we have, you know, Vernon, a powerful man that she uses to introduce her story. Yeah, and and it's one of those things as we uh, see this this family start the story off um, that it really continues in in the um, in the English uh, literary tradition of of someone like a rolled doll who who introduces his character his special character as being part of a family which is so so different from him. Um, you know, you think of the the book Matilda again as a magical. Um, girl who grows up in a in a family who who despises her and her magical ability, um, and so this is a this is not a a new technique, but it is one that that J.K. does very well. Where these uh, characters, the Dursleys in particular, form this this wonderful backdrop um, where where Harry can stand against and really shine forth as something so different from his home family. Yeah, yeah, JK does that contrast really well. And and I think just a couple more things on on the Dursley family. Um, you know, these it, it, more than just being foils of 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 Harry, um this family is presented as the most muggle of all people. Yeah, yeah, they they're kind of the the king muggle family uh that if you think of like Not in a good muggles way. Yeah, no, no, definitely not in a good way. It's uh, it's sort of a very negative thing because there are muggles out there that are, are lovely and nice, um, but we just get this sort of kind of behind closed doors, behind their sort of home door, how they treat, uh, you know, Harry, and, and we, we see that later on, um, but it's just, it's not a, a good thing. They're not kind to him, and it just yes. comes out that they're just nasty, nasty people. It's it's part of um, Professor McGonagall's objection is she says to Dumbledore, you couldn't find two people who are less like us. <laughs> um, and, and it's one of those things that that this rejection of of the magical world actually shows something far deeper than just a, a hatred of um, of of bunny rabbits and hats and card tricks um, is is that it's it's really showing that the Dursleys are people who are opposed to new ideas. And the Dursleys are yeah. people who, who are just so opposed to change that, that they reject completely the idea of, of, of magic, um, even when it can be used for, for good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we see um, later on um, as we learn about uh, Hermione Granger's character and uh, and her yes. parents yeah. being uh, Muggles. Uh, they come into it, and, and it is their daughter that is a is a witch and and uh, and has to get all these things done. But they're part of that, and they're excited. You know, this whole new world is open to them, and clearly there's a there's the the contrast between them 
who are open-minded to the Dursleys, who are very close-minded. Like you said, they uh, they don't want change, Josh. They just kind of want the the same thing to keep going. Uh, and if anything is amiss, you know Petunia will call you out on it. Yes, yeah. And, and you know, that's, that's something that we see too with, with Grandma and Grandpa Evans, um, Lily and Petunia's parents, who are, who are thrilled mm. to have a witch in the family. Yes, um, and, yeah. And Petunia says that with, with some kind of bitterness and anger in her voice when she recalls that. Um, and, and so she, she really does seem to have found a husband who is the furthest thing from a, a, a wizard and, and have really remained entrenched in her views since then. Yeah, and I wonder how how that came about in the sense that Vernon Dursley, like, when did he find out about the, oh, you know... Would you like to be there for that conversation? Oh, I would have been a fly on the wall, and it would have just been amazing. <laughs> like, just the the weirdness of that. Like, when did he come into yeah. the, you know, the, yeah. the situation with Petunia? And, like, you know, how did they meet? And, like, when did yeah. they discuss it? But, you know, that that in itself is interesting. And we kind of, like, glaze over that to, to sort of Vernon already being like, oh, I don't want to bring that up with Petunia because, you know, she'll kind of, she does not like when we talk about the Potters. Mm. Well, and it's just a not to spend too much time on this, but as we get to learn more about Harry's classmates at Hogwarts, there are, you know, not a majority, but a significant number of students who have one foot in the wizarding world and one foot in the muggle world. And and so you just really wonder, you know, what are family gatherings like? How much are the extended family allowed to know about, yeah. the, you know, the, the magical world? You know, you have, um, you know, you have Dean, you have Seamus. Um, you have obviously Hermione and, and, and others who are key, key members of, of their families who, who are, have largely grown up muggle or at least half muggle. Um, and, and yet their families know something, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a difficult and, and troubling, uh, troubling dynamic. Um, but you know, thankfully Blake, we are not only introduced to the Dursleys for that would be a pretty brutal chapter. Uh, but we oh, do get introduced yes. to some uh, some characters who who uh, do brighten the the dark of of Privet Drive at night, and and the first character that we are officially introduced to is Albus Dumbledore, the man, the myth, the legend, number one in our programs, number one. Exactly. In our I mean, pretty Albus much Dumbledore. everybody's favorite character, right? I mean, that's you know <laughs> that's a that's a that's a conversation, but uh, I mean, we all have a special place, I think, for for Albus Dumbledore. I mean, he's not a perfect man. I, I think we will we know that and we will come to learn more about that. But I think if we say top five characters, uh, I would I'd have to put Albus somewhere in there. I mean, he's he's just someone who has such a a role in the story uh, and, and is so, uh, I guess, example and role model for Harry uh, that, that Harry looks up to. Uh, I mean, you know he's he's a he's a faulty human um in the sense that he maybe isn't the best role model but well let's just take a bit of a, an aside on that um you know before albus dumbledore dies the death of a thousand qualifications um let's just admit that that one of the things that jk rowling does better than nearly any writer um certainly in the the children young adults genre is is that she writes characters who are truly human and and that might seem yeah. odd to say um, in a in a fantasy book, but her characters are flawed. the 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 bad guys can sometimes be sympathized with, and and the good guys 
are are flawed, sometimes terribly flawed. Um, and, 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 you know, I think as as someone who's approaching that, one of the reasons why Harry Potter will continue to have a lasting effect on literature is because these characters have problems and difficulties and challenges they face, which are not unique to a fantasy world. Um, but, but the idea of struggling with pride or struggling with a place of belonging or struggling with um, any other of, of the difficulties, which her characters struggle um, is, are, you know, these are things which, which people continue to deal with in, in the real world. Yeah, I mean, she does that so wonderfully. And I mean, we see that in a, a lot of the characters that even that we get introduced uh, here, that they all have traits that are beneficial traits, uh, some traits that are good and some that aren't maybe the best. And we learn about those as we get to know these characters more and more. I think one of the, the quotes that, that summarizes that particularly well is, is Sirius Black talking to Harry Potter in um, The Order of the Phoenix, where he says, the world isn't split into good people and death eaters. Yeah, exactly. And I think, Blake, as, as Christians, um, there's, there's this real sense in which J.K. Rowling gets humanity quite well. Um, she understands that even people who we see as good are capable of terrible evil. Um, yeah, and, and even people who are are evil, and and we recognize that are capable because we would say they are um, image bearers of God. They are capable of doing good from time to time, um, and and they cannot help but shake that um, imprint of the of the of of bearing the image of God, even when it comes to the worst of times. And and I think she, that's what one of the reasons why her books resonate so much with me is I, I can relate to these people so much better than this is the um, perfect good guy who never did anything wrong protagonist. And this is, yeah. the, you know, the evil guy who has no, um, uh, no reason to sympathize with him at all, you know? Exactly. I mean, that's a that's a quick way to to distinguish the two. And, you know, you might read that story and that might be great. You know, here's the good guy. He's always been good. Way to go, good guy. And then he versus the bad guy. So clearly, you know, you're rooting for the, the good guy uh, and you don't want the bad guy to win. But is that a story that is real and sticks uh, kind of with you? And and I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that would. I think these characters with their flaws, uh, like we all have, have flaws that they, they make you know she makes it so much more relatable for us yeah and and you know all, all that to say that we'll come to know so much more about albus dumbledore in time um, but, but but this is a man who is truly great he is powerful um he has good intentions um but but he is a complicated and and dynamic character um, exactly early on in in this chapter we we see i think one one last key thing we just want to mention um, is that already in chapter one, we see that he is absolutely brilliant magically. People respect him and people look up to him. Um, but second, and more importantly for our discussion here, he has already in chapter one of the first book, this kind of aura of or around him of, of sifting information, um, deciding who needs to know what and when they need to know it. Yeah, he definitely picks a person and only gives them so much information. Uh, I mean, you know, even even to the information that he gives Harry uh, as he is in school, um, and then even to the information that we see in this chapter that he gives to Minerva McGonagall, uh, and or the and information, that information he gives to Petunia, yeah, in a, in a short letter, right? Yes, you know, exactly. It's, it's never really overplaying his hand, um, and and that's something that 
again, will will be a podcast of its own, I'm sure. You know how much should Dumbledore have have told others? But but here at the beginning, we can already <laughs> yeah. see that character trait. We see uh, two other magical beings with Dumbledore, um, two future um, and one current. Sorry, w- one future, one current uh, professor at at Hogwarts, uh, Minerva McGonagall and Rubius uh, Hagrid. We're introduced to Minerva, and she's alluded to as reading a map a, a cat reading a, a map and uh, and then all of a sudden Dumbledore comes and you know uh, just acknowledges this cat uh, and you're thinking okay that's a bit bit weird but then all of a sudden it becomes McGonagall uh, and you kind of see that there's a bit of magic there it's not kind of given a name um, but JK sort of just subtly points it out uh, and uh, and then you know it, it, the scene moves on yeah and and one more thing on that is that with this conversation between the three of them, um, there's there's this allusion to the fact that there are two competent magical beings, and then one who is slightly less able. You know, um, <laughs> slightly less able. That's an interesting way of putting it, Josh. McGonagall doubts Hagrid, and it seems like she yes. has reason to do so. But, yeah, but Dumbledore replies that he would trust Hagrid with his life. Um, yeah. And so there yeah. is already this complex relationship between the three of them. Um, and then we are introduced to, to really three more characters um, by way of, of reference and mention, not actually meeting them in these chapters, but they are mentioned. Um, one of those is, is the great granddaddy of all evil wizards, Lord Voldemort, or you know who. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think we should probably be addressing him as Voldemort, Josh, uh, not you-know-who, because, you know, fear of a name only increases fear of the thing itself, right? As a, as a great man Very once true. said. Wise words, wise words. And, and I think, you know, in, the, in this chapter, just to pass over it briefly, we're, we're given um, a hint of his unsurpassed exploration of the dark arts. Um, and, and here already there is a... Um, a, a small um, reference to the rivalry between Dumbledore and Voldemort and how um, unlike any other relationship between wizards, these two seem to be something of equals. Um, and, and Hagrid uh, will continue to reference that when he's introducing Harry to the magical world. Yeah. I mean, Hagrid does so much of that. He, you know, JK does, uses him as, as kind of the introduction yeah. for, for yeah. so much uh, for Harry and um, Harry develops that really special relationship with Hagrid. And I think Hagrid uh, already before even Harry does, you know, develop that relationship for him, Hagrid's already developed that relationship, having a heart uh, for this sort of baby boy that he yeah. Yeah. took out of this broken home, uh, physically broken home, and uh, and brings him uh, in and is kind of that that carer, uh, that guardian, and uh, that yeah. that Harry doesn't have anymore as his as his parents mm. uh, have died, and so you know Hagrid's heart, and I, I think Dumbledore sees that, and and is maybe one of the reasons why Dumbledore trusts him with his life yeah. is that Dumbledore sees Hagrid's heart, whereas McGonagall, a very practical woman, probably mm. only looks at Absolutely. the evidence of of things, uh, and as Hagrid was expelled in his like third year, you know. McGonagall's probably thinking back to something like that um, and how he makes a few blunders here and there. Uh, but Dumbledore kind of sees through to the, the person uh, itself and he's a, he's a good judge of character. And, and, and potentially, as we look at that situation, you can um, not really fault McGonagall uh, because presumably Dumbledore has never told her all that went on with Hagrid. 
how he was wrongly expelled. And and so, you know, for the watching world, you you see Dumbledore trusting this man who who was expelled, which seems like a very rare thing at Hogwarts, you know, never happens to any of Harry's peers at all exactly um, even though some of them are pretty sketchy in the sense of they like pretty, to break rules yeah basically death eaters by but yeah um, <laughs> any so, suspensions i'm not too sure <laughs> yeah no one seems to get stood down here um and and so you know there's there's already this this kind of i guess consequence of of the fact that dumbledore keeps things so closely guarded is that people don't know why he gives people second chances they don't understand why he's allowed hagrid to kind of be in his inner circle they don't understand why snape is allowed to continue teaching they don't understand why he would trust a convicted murderer like sirius black all these things um and dumbledore seems quite content to let it remain a mystery it's something that we learn more uh, about as uh, as the books go on uh, and those relationships deepen. I mean, you know, talking about deep relationships, James and Lily Potter, the characters are mentioned of, you know, that's that's something that it just, uh, your heart breaks for the fact that they die and leave mm. Harry, their son, uh, all alone. Um, and Harry is left, like we, we mentioned, Josh, that, you know, Hagrid is, is like this kind of guardian figure, you know, he is uh, got those above him that look after him and and love him, uh, but it's never quite like the love of, of parents. Yeah. And, and in this first chapter, we are already Again, I, I keep saying that, but I, I think it's worth saying that that so much of 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 what will become you know, classic traits of the story to in the next seven books are are already here in in chapter one, um, and and one of those things is the fact that that though Lily and James die at such a young age, they have clearly touched the lives of so many um, over so many people. Over yeah, again, people say how great Harry's parents were to like. It, to him, you know, they they are able to say how much they loved them, even though they would have hardly known them as adults. And and exactly, I mean, I mean, Dumbledore that, would consider them as friends. Yes, as yeah, as more than just students, right? I think you know, while there's definitely the component that you know these were the last people to stand up to Voldemort before he dif- yeah. disappeared for the first time, um, it, it seems like they were very very likable um, and and influential. Um, young witches, a young witch and wizard, um, regardless of their final end. Um, you know, they they seem yeah. like they were well loved by by so many. Well, we are we are spending a, a lot of time looking at all these things, and uh, and and more than just characters are introduced in the first chapter. Um, J.K. Rowling also does a a significant amount of world building, um, and this is something we want to look at each chapter that we go through the book. Is that we want to look at how how does J.K. Rowling introduce us to her expanding wizarding universe? Um, as we enter the first chapter, we are uh, much more like Vernon Dursley than we would care to admit. We know nothing of this world, um, and so as yeah. we come into it we are having our eyes opened wider and wider at each chapter at each page even seeing the the new things that are laid before us um and and one of the first things we see is there already is this uh, wizard muggle secrecy going on yeah we uh, we see that the wizards kind of either want to be removed or have to be but they they look at non-wizarding folk as as muggles as maybe and even some of the wizarding folk consider them inferior uh, to uh, the wizarding race yeah and and in this chapter we see a few quotes which are quite insightful um this is um 
um, Minerva McGonagall speaking to um, Albus Dumbledore, she says, you'd think they'd be a bit more careful, but no, even the muggles have noticed something's going on. It was on their yeah. news. Yeah, um, the quote was good. The, uh, the, the the impersonation might need a little work, Josh. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I, <laughs> I think that just a little bit of work isn't too bad. But um, Yeah, I really hadn't settled on my Minerva voice, so we can cut that out later. Um, <laughs> we're not cutting that out that's all staying in <laughs> perfect um and and so i think the 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 key point of that quote is that um is that she says even the muggles have noticed mm. um as if as if they're ignorant of a lot and they don't notice much um you know she, she goes on to say in that same section well they're not completely stupid they were bound to notice something um and and that's that superiority um, that you are already uh, mentioning just a little while uh, ago, and, yeah. and I'd like to point out just one thing on this on this note as we as we move on um, is that in a in a very unique way, uh, the Harry Potter world is is much more intertwined with the the human world than either um, Lewis's Narnia or Tolkien's um, Middle Earth. Um, is that is that as you look at how those two forerunners in the um, in the history of of British fantasy novels um, pre- present their their worlds and their stories um, the the wizarding world of Harry Potter is is far more intertwined than either of the other two um, and and this is something that that is going to be a key theme as we already looked at is this relationship between the muggle and the magic um, that will um, continue to define much of, of the story to come yeah the, the... The Narnia uh, that that you mentioned, you know, that that world is separated essentially by a wardrobe, among other mm. things. Um, but it is is fully removed, uh, and through a sort of magical transport system, you know, some some people from you know our world go to this fantasy yes, land. Right. Uh, uh, but you know, here we have uh, those witches and wizards that are even born to muggles, uh, and you yeah. know, the parents find out that the, their kids are doing weird things and what's going on. <laughs> Um, and uh, you know, which would be a, a very strange thing uh, to happen as a as a parent, and then for you know to receive a letter by you know the Ministry of Magic saying you've got a uh, a witch or a, a wizard as a son or a daughter that that there would be quite quite shocking. Um, but with uh, the whole intertwinedness, there's still you know they still want to remain secret, and and I think the the last thing that that wizarding world would want is to be found out yeah there's there's fear definitely in in minerva's quotes there um there's there's something at stake if the muggles find out right just the the fact that if it was found out you know fear that would come in whether you know that would be uh just dangerous uh for both sides yes certainly um and and so as we as we move from this uh muggle magical separation and and division uh we we also see one of the key places in uh, the Harry Potter world, and that is number four, Privet Drive. I mean, um, the, the the fact is you, you, you sort of want to be there, even though it's not the nicest of places to be. You know, you want to go there as as the reader. We're wanting to go to all of these places uh, in, in JK's kind of world that she's created. Uh, but it is the last place that even Harry would kind of want to be. He wants to sort of get away from that. You know, growing up in that home was was not, good for him no it certainly wasn't and and the reason that it is so important is because it is 
uh, the center of Dumbledore's protective uh, charm work. Uh, yeah. This is Harry's least favorite place in the whole world, and yet it is the most important place for him to be. Um, that might seem like a bold statement, but I, I would certainly argue that it is, at least in Dumbledore's mind, more important for Harry to be here than even for Harry to be at Hogwarts. Because if he yeah. is not at number four Privet Drive each and every summer, all the work that they do at Hogwarts preparing him for the uh, ultimate facing of Voldemort doesn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, it would be it would be wasted. Uh, exactly. Yeah. The fact that like the protection would would break, uh, and all of a sudden that sacrifice that we later learn is Lily's uh, sacrifice uh, would just be in vain. It would be it would be worthless, and so that's why Dumbledore is just so adamant that you know he goes back there, which which must be hard knowing that it's not the greatest place for Harry yet. He knows, uh, and it's this information that he's kind of keeping for himself. He's not telling Harry, uh, but uh, it's this information that he knows it actually is the best place for Harry to be. Yeah, and I, I think that's maybe one of the bigger discussions we can have later on on why Dumbledore doesn't give Harry more of an insight into why it's so important for him to. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely um, big, yeah, big conversation there. You know, surely, surely Harry would have had a different attitude if he knew something of the importance of going home to the Dursleys. Moving on, we, we can't uh, we can't go too deep into that just now. Um, what are some other of the uh, world-building aspects we see in this first chapter, Blake? Yeah, uh, the one that really jumps out to me that is kind of like a, ah, oh, is the, uh, the put-outer it's mentioned, um, is where Dumbledore arrives on Privet Drive and to sort of darken uh, the environment, he wants to kind of remove the light so that he can kind of go about his business, uh, his sort of kind of magical business without other people seeing, uh, you know, and just a nod to that secrecy that they they so desire, uh, but but this put outer is then later on referred to as the uh, deluminator once it sort of has a little bit more importance in it, and that that is a, a very important uh, object in kind of the the final stages, the last book for for especially Ron Weasley. Mm. Uh, but it is just such a cool object, like a you know the magical wand obviously like having a wand would be awesome but these little kind of i guess it would be the technology in the magic world uh would be this device that is of dumbledore's own design uh, and it just to me that would be great i mean i would probably not use it for uh, for great in the sense i'd just be sitting in bed being like oh let's turn out the lights and use my put outer and it's the lights are <laughs> off and that's uh that's pretty yeah, basic yeah. yeah and it's it's something that is is just interesting in in the sense that for whatever reason Dumbledore thinks and and for good reason we just don't know everything now he he is able to say it is better for me to use my deluminator than my wand to make this street dark um, yes and, and obviously yeah we don't know exactly why that all is yet but it's clearly important here um, and so and so we see just just going quickly through some of these other things now. Um, we, we see um, Godric's Hollow inf- um, in- introduced ever so briefly by reference. Uh, we see the flying motorbike that, that Sirius gave to Hagrid. Um, owls are going to be a key part of this world. Um, oh, and yeah. finally, we see Harry Potter's cursed scar, the lightning bolt for which he will forever be recognized. Um, and, and something that Dumbledore says, um, it's not something that can be get gotten rid of nor should it be desired to be gone 
Exactly. He wouldn't remove it, even if he could, if because he could. of yeah. the importance of the scar. Now, Blake, I've got a question for you. When you were in school, yeah, did you enjoy doing novel studies? Got to be honest with you, when I was younger, I, I didn't really love reading. There would be a few books that would really kind of captivate me and I, I would enjoy reading them, but it was very few, maybe, you know, a, a couple books uh, a year. And obviously looking back, it's something that I, I would have loved to do. Uh, but when uh, sitting in English class and the teacher announcing that, you know, now we've got to do a novel study, it's like, wait, you, you're asking me to read a whole book and then do some writing on it. I mean, and look at us now, we've read the whole entire Harry Potter series and we're doing a podcast on it, Josh. So it's uh, it's it's funny how things turn out, but I did not like reading kind of reports as as we called them uh, back in the day. Yeah, and, and and the reason I ask that question is is you know, as a speaking as an English teacher, the, one of the main main reasons for doing novel studies is to teach students um, to begin to look for some of these things. We've already discussed things like theme, things like plot, character development, all those things um, in the books that they already enjoy reading. Um, and, and so as we come to the Harry Potter universe, we want to treat it more than just a story, but we also want to look at it as literature and, and, and start recognizing some of the um, really amazing things that, that J.K.R. does in, in her books. Um, and the first thing we want to look at in this literary device um, kind of segment is is looking at how um, J.K. Rowling narrates the Harry Potter universe. She uses a a bit of a, a unique um, narration technique where, where she narrates it from the point of view of third person limited omniscient. Now, those are some pretty big words, but um, in, in a sense, we, we can tell quite quickly what that actually means. Um, this is significant because as as the reader uh, we are given an insight into how Harry Potter specifically uh, views the world. Uh, we are able to see the world from his perspective, but it is not Harry Potter who is telling the story. There is a narrator, but that narrator is restricted by what Harry primarily can see, think, or feel. And so we're told at times what Harry is thinking. We're told at times what is going on in his heart, and we're told certainly what he is doing. Um, but it is not Harry who is telling us the story. Now, Josh, um, uh, uh, I have to back. ask. I have to ask. When you read Harry Potter, do you uh, at all imagine who the narrator is? Who's who's kind of actually telling the story? Do you picture anything or any anybody or anyone? Uh, I'd have to be honest. I'd I'd have to say no. No, I do. Yeah, not. no. N neither have I. I was just I was just curious. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know if that's uh, intentional, but I, I think it does re remind us of the fact that, um, you know, there, there isn't meant to be anybody that we have in, in mind, but, but this is a bit of a removed perspective from that, that idea of a personal narrator. Yeah, I mean, it's um, not Dumbledore sitting in his uh, chair no, in front of the fire, kind no, of twirling exactly. his beard in his not hand. Not quite like, and just, you know, Michael yeah. Scarn telling his story. <laughs> well, how exactly. do I know these things? Well, I am Michael Scar. <laughs> exactly. Remember that office yeah. episode? I do remember that office yeah, yeah, episode. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but just going back to chapter one. Chapter one, um, something unique happens uh, in this book, um, and then a a theme which will be carried out throughout the rest of the books is that here in chapter one, J.K. Rowling introduces us to a different character who will be our eyes and ears for the chapter. Um, we don't get the perspective of Harry in the first chapter. We get the perspective of two characters, Vernon Dursley and Albus Dumbledore. 
And in in each book, um, especially at the beginning chapters, um, this is going to be a tool that that J.K. Rowling uses uh, to to really set the scene and give the reader more information that Harry doesn't have. Um, and and really give us an understanding um, without sacrificing her literary technique. Um, yeah. it, it's not as though all of a sudden third person limited omniscient is is sacrificed at the altar of of knowing things, um, but but she gives the reader an insight into what's happening around the world by giving us the, a different perspective. You know, she'll do that when Voldemort is rising to power in uh, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, where we all of a sudden have the perspective um, of, of the gardener um, and his name is escaping me at the moment. Um, yeah. But we're not switched out uh, all the time, which would be quite confusing for us. Yes, like, correct. correct. It's, yeah. it's sort of done at the start. Like you said, Josh, it sets the scene and it helps us, uh, I guess, uh, get a behind the scenes kind of information yes. before we're then continuing Harry's journey through school and then encountering maybe these problems that were set up uh, at the start. And and so I want to just um, you know make the final point that um, that these um, transitions into a different perspective are always intentional, um, and they are always used to to move the reader into a place where they were not previously aware of. Um, and 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 these are things we we need to pay attention to when we are reading J.K. Rowling. Um, and and just the other uh, literary device that we haven't talked about, we talked about theme, we've talked about other things, um, is that as we, we look at the writing of this chapter, um, J.K. Rowling uses repetition wonderfully to uh, drive home the point of how um, how much the Dursleys are committed to this life of, of normalcy. Um, she uses words like normal, usual, um, over and over again, which which go directly against words connected to magic, which um, fly in the face of the ordinary um, and will upset the, the, the Dursley's normal life. So Josh, next up, we've got kind of a, a spoiler alert section. We're talking about foreshadowing and something that we want to do for each chapter as well is uh, talk about what parts JK sort of just slips in there uh, that allude to something that happens whether later on in this book or later on in the series. Yeah, and, and as we are going about this podcast, our approach is that we are reading the books with a full awareness of um, the the seven books in the series uh, with the Fantastic Beast films, with Cursed Child, and with other writing that J.K. Rowling herself has done. We're, we're coming into the first chapter, the first pages, with an awareness of the wider world so that we can notice absolutely as much as we possibly can. I mean, can you imagine reading the books for the first time and like you don't know these things you know and it's why foreshadowing really is so no, important I, I and imagine it yeah. no like you, you can't i mean you read you, you kind of find out that the foreshadowing that is showed later on in the chapter or in you know the book itself but those long-standing things like you know the put outer uh, as soon as you kind of read that in the last book you go oh oh i see what she did there and that's just the, that's the something we haven't moment. seen for ages right no yeah, exactly. I mean, it's something that whether she wrote on a little note, put this, you know, in book seven, like, I don't know what mm. she did, but it's just, yeah, it's so incredible how these little moments of 
you know, the different books all kind of intertwine. Uh, and as we see more foreshadowing throughout this book, uh, we just, I, I just feel so like, like, wow, in awe of like all these little kind of secret things that she puts in. Uh, and, and one of those being, I think Dumbledore's physical description, it's, it's a pretty basic yeah. one. And we don't, look at it as foreshadowing if we were reading this for the first time because we're going okay she's introducing Dumbledore as a character she's clearly you know telling us what Dumbledore looks like but when she you know tells us of, of his striking blue eyes those blue eyes come into play in the seventh book yeah absolutely um his his blue eyes which he shares with his brother Aberforth yeah um, and his broken nose broken by that yes who broke it where we'll will be two things that, that we cannot ignore later. Um, but, but which like Harry's lightning scar, like Harry's sh- sharing his, 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 his mother's eyes, those, those physical details, even those small things are not wasted in JK Rowling's writing, but they are intentional and purposeful. And it's wonderful to, to look back on after, af- after reading the whole series, we've mentioned some of the other foreshadowing elements, the protective charm on the Dursley home um, aspects of what Voldemort's character um, but but we'll go into that more later. But um, just to say that that we do want to have a big emphasis in this podcast on the foreshadowing elements, which are so crucial to the story. Our final segment before we enter into our conclusion is that we want to ask the question, why is this chapter needed? For each chapter in the series, for all 199 chapters of the Harry Potter story, we want to ask, was this chapter necessary and why? And for this chapter, Blake, I think it's pretty obvious um, this chapter is is an engaging introduction to a collision of worlds. Uh, it introduces our protagonist, our antagonist, um, and several other key characters. Yeah, it's the chapter that launches us into this whole series. Uh, so it has an importance in in that way. Uh, and then with all these character introductions, we're given just little bits of information, uh, but we want to know more of this story. We want to we know what happens to Harry Potter. And again, as difficult as it may be, if we try and place ourselves in a position, imagining that we have never read these books before, there is so much in this first chapter that draws the reader in. Mm. We're already made to feel empathy with the, the, the protagonist with Harry. Um, even though he's only a baby, we see yeah. magic, which fascinates us and we don't have an explanation for it. I think it's brilliant that that J.K. Rowling drops her reader into the middle and doesn't um, explain to us everything that's going on. We don't know that Professor McGonagall is an animagi. We just see it happen. And so yeah. we're, well, we don't even see it happen, but it's just kind of, yeah, it's just, yeah, just mentioned kind of that us, all right? of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah, that she's yeah. that she's there, and and so that's just you know that's impressive, and it's something that you go, wow, this is a book, this is a story that has magic in it. I mean, if you didn't know what uh, mm. a sorcerer or a philosopher uh, was, you know, you'd be like, okay, this is a story, you know, from the cover about Harry Potter uh, and uh, a stone. Okay, cool, and you you know you jump into it and you start noticing that you know there are some weird things happening and things that maybe shouldn't happen in sort of the normal world. Uh, so what does this mean? And it's, you know, the book introduces magic and and that obviously is one of the biggest things that we see all throughout the series is that it's all based on Harry Potter, this, this wizard. Yeah. And I think, you know, in case anyone was um, doubting even the slightest that the first chapter wasn't truly necessary. Um, I think we've shown, I think we've done an okay job, Blake. I think we've proved that, you know, this chapter is so important for so many reasons. Um, and and they it just does set the stage in so many ways for the book. 
uh, to come. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward I'm to, to yeah. jumping in and uh, and great. seeing what the other chapters hold. Kind of who we get introduced to, who we learn more about the the things that we see. I mean, I love the many different elements of world building that she uses from places totally. to to yeah. things yeah. Uh, to you know jobs and books. Uh, you know, she dives into all those sorts of things, um, and then you know we go to Hogwarts, and so I'm looking forward to going yeah, to Hogwarts. Right. With you, Josh, uh, and we might have to have a conversation about which houses we're in because that might cause a little bit of Certainly. separation between us. Certainly. But I am, uh, yeah, I'm not too, I'm not too sure. But I'm sure we'll still remain friends, uh, and that will be okay. Well, Blake, this has been an absolute blast, and I cannot wait to continue looking at this book with you. And thank you for those listening. We'd love to hear your feedback, so head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from and leave a review. Your reviews help keep the magic alive. To continue the adventure, join us next time as we discuss the second chapter of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, The Vanishing Glass.